Holy Spirit, we pray that as, as we contemplate this passage that we've read this morning, that you would be working through my words and in each of our ears and hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, gives us a beautiful summary of what life was like for the church in Jerusalem in the period right after Pentecost, right after the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the believers. And I think what shines out at us from this text is not the example of any individual member of that church, but the example of the church as a whole. It's this church's common life, what they were and did together as a group, that really shines out in this text. And so the plan for this morning's sermon is simply to outline four different aspects of this church's common life that can be a godly example to us here at St. Aidan's. Everything, uh, okay, on the audio? Okay, I won't worry about it. <laughs> so if we're going to look at four, four aspects of their life. The first is this, that they spent time together. Second, they were learning together. Third, they were sharing together. And fourth, they were fruitful together. So those will be our four points this morning. Number one, they spent time together. All who believed were together, verse 44 tells us. All who believed were together. How often? Quite often. Verse 46 tells us that they were day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There were daily prayer services at the Jerusalem temple, and the Jerusalem Christians continued to attend these services daily, along with other pious Jews who didn't know about Jesus yet. And they also began to meet together daily in their homes, where they broke bread together. In the New Testament, that phrase, the breaking of bread, can refer both to the sacramental meal, to communion, but also to regular shared meals. And in fact, uh, it seems like these earliest Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper usually in the context of a full meal. So they were doing both of those things together. So both in the public gatherings of their whole society and in their own private gatherings, all who believed were together day by day. This is a very simple point, but it's foundational to the rest of what I'm going to say today. The earliest Christians took time to be together often. Now, friends, it's okay that our practice at St. Aidan's is not exactly the same as the practice of these first Jerusalem Christians. That will be true in a few ways. It's okay that we don't get together to pray and to share food every day. But it's just as true for us today as it was for them in those early days that the Christian life is not and cannot be a solitary project. To live as Christians, we need to get together. There's a really strong evidence of this in the second half of verse 47. Look there with me at the very end of our text. The second half of verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's more we'll want to say about that verse later, but for now, just notice that when the Lord begins to save someone, what does he do? 
He adds them to his church. The Lord added to their number, that is, to the company of believers, those who were being saved. That's how the Lord Jesus worked in Jerusalem after Pentecost, and that's how he works in Windsor, Ontario today. Whenever he saves someone, he adds that person to his church. That's how our Lord in his goodness chooses to take care of us, by putting us together in one body. Scripture tells us that each of us who believes in Jesus has received gifts from the Holy Spirit, gifts that are for the good of the whole body. The Holy Spirit is at work in each one of us so that when we come together, we can bless and be blessed by each other. But, of course, that can only happen if we do come together. And if we come together often enough and open-heartedly enough to really get to know each other and to get to know each other's lives. That's when we'll experience that blessing most richly. And if we have the same spirit that these Jerusalem Christians received at Pentecost, won't we want to come together as they did? Not just for an hour every Sunday or maybe every other Sunday, but as much as we possibly can. Now, friends, I well understand that there are sometimes very legitimate reasons that we can't be together as often as we would want to be. Of course, we've all experienced a version of that over these last two years, right? There are good reasons sometimes to limit the, the times and the ways that we can be together. And I know some of you here today, and some of you who are unable to be here today, but who may be listening from home, have particular circumstances in your life that prevent you from being here on Sundays often as you'd like, or from participating in midweek church activities you'd otherwise want to be part of. That's okay. Our God is certainly gracious and powerful enough to sustain us through periods of life where circumstances force us to be somewhat separate from other believers. I don't want to lay a guilt trip on any of you. God forbid that that should be uh, what I'm doing in this sermon. What I do want to do is to invite you all to think about it this week inviting the Holy Spirit to help you see your life clearly and honestly. It may be that there are circumstances that simply prevent you from doing what you want to do. But might it also be that there are things you aren't doing but could be realistically doing to spend more time with God's people. Whether it's coming more regularly to Sunday worship or trying out the Monday night Bible study or the Tuesdays at 2 prayer group, or inviting someone from the congregation that you don't know very well yet uh, out to lunch after church, or asking someone how you can pray for them this week, something as simple as that. Please consider this with the help of the Holy Spirit this week. If we want our common life to shine out like the common life of this Jerusalem church, it all begins with spending time together. So that's our point number one. They were spending time together. Point number two, they were learning together. We read in verse 42 that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was a big part of what the Jerusalem Christians were doing when they got together, both in the temple and in their homes. Not only praying together, sharing meals together, and getting to know each other, but learning together with the apostles as their teachers. Who were the apostles? Well, 12 men who had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry and who had witnessed his resurrection. 
11 of them had been chosen by Jesus directly, and the 12th had been prayerfully chosen as the replacement for Judas. You will remember this from Father David's sermon three weeks ago now. And these 12 continued to have a special role in the Jerusalem church as leaders and as teachers. Also, by the way, as miracle workers, as this text tells us. Verse 43 tells us that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That is, God was working wonders and signs through them. These included miraculous healings and amazing supernatural uh, jailbreaks, escapes from prison. The book of Acts tells us some of these amazing stories later in detail. God was doing strange, wonderful things through these apostles. So isn't it interesting that the church was devoted not to the apostles' miracle working or to the apostles' fascinating personalities, but to the apostles' teaching? That's what our text emphasizes, their teaching. Our text calls the miracles that God performed through the apostles' signs because they were meant principally to point beyond themselves to something else. They pointed to the truth and power of the message that the apostles were proclaiming. Their proclamation that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, who by his death on the cross and his resurrection had accomplished our salvation from sin and death. That's the content of the apostles' teaching, that good news. We heard it last week in Peter's Pentecost sermon, didn't we? And you'd see the same emphases all throughout the book of Acts in every speech that any of the apostles or their companions give. The apostles' teaching always emphasizes the gospel of salvation, that Jesus is the Christ, the one anointed by God to accomplish his great plan, and that this Jesus died and rose again, and that because of him and what he did, we can receive salvation from God through repentance and faith. These are the core elements of the teaching of the apostles to which the Jerusalem Christians were so devoted. And there's one more core element that we find in every apostolic speech in the book of Acts, every instance of apostolic teaching. And that's the use of scripture to interpret and to demonstrate the truth of the gospel that they're proclaiming. The apostles use the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the Psalms especially, and the prophets, to understand for themselves and to help others understand the amazing new reality they were experiencing in Jesus Christ. The apostles didn't teach their own ideas about who Christ was and what he had done. We know from the Gospels that sometimes their own ideas about Christ weren't that good. They didn't teach their own ideas. They taught God's ideas. They taught what God had revealed about himself and his Christ. And that's why their teaching was worth listening to. Because their teaching was grounded in the scriptures, it had a truth, a reliability, and an authority that came from God, not from any mere human. And so by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, these Jerusalem Christians were really devoting themselves to God's teaching. They became disciples or students of God. Who would you rather have as your teacher? And though we don't have the apostles with us today, we can still join these earliest Christians in their devotion to the apostles' teaching. How? By devoting ourselves to the scriptures. Because we do have the law, the writings, and the prophets of the Old Testament, the very same scriptures 
from which these apostles first proclaimed Christ. And we also have the books of the New Testament, where we find this apostolic teaching in its final written form, preserved and handed down into the church forever. The apostles taught by preaching from Scripture, and the Jerusalem Christians learned by listening to Scripture. Well, that's the way we want to teach and learn here at St. Aidan's too, isn't it? It's the way any healthy church teaches and learns. If we want to know who Jesus really was and who he really is, or if we want to understand what it is he accomplished for us, we have to go to the scriptures. If we have a question about what it looks like for us to live as Christians, or if there's some controversy in doctrine or practice that needs to be settled, we go to the scriptures. That's why when you come to church on Sunday morning, you're not going to hear Father David telling you his own ideas about God. You're not going to hear him interpret the fascinating dream he had last night, or uh, read you a snippet from the latest best-selling author in the spirituality section. You're going to hear him open up a passage of Holy Scripture. If you come to the Monday night Bible study, or to the Wednesday students' night, or if you go downstairs right now to the Sunday school, you'll find us digging into the Scriptures in one way or another. Because that's where God speaks to us. That's where God tells us everything that he most urgently wants us to know about himself, about ourselves, and about the salvation he's accomplished for us. So like that earliest church in Jerusalem, we want to be a church that is devoted to learning together, learning from God in his word. They spent time together, they were learning together. Point number three, they were sharing together. Right after verse 42 tells us that these Jerusalem Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it tells us also that they were devoted to the fellowship. And this point is emphasized just two verses later in verse 44, where we read that they had all things in common. Having things in common is what fellowship really means. In fact, in Greek, the original language of this book, Fellowship and common are just two forms of the same word. They're that closely connected. And these Jerusalem Christians had things in common. In fact, they were devoted to having all things in common. So what does this really mean and what did it look like? Well, part of what it meant we read about in verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. Wealthier believers in this church were selling their personal property so that the money could be distributed to more needy believers. Now we know that not every Christian in the Jerusalem church was selling all of what he or she owned, because we've already read in verse 46 that at least some of them continued to have homes, which they could host meetings at for the church. And these are both examples of what it meant for these Christians to have all things in common. It wasn't the case that they literally had no personal property, but it was the case that everything they owned, they used for the common good of God's people. Whatever God had entrusted them with, they knew he had given it to them so that they could use it to meet the needs of poor Christians and to meet the common needs of the whole church. So whether by selling their properties and distributing the proceeds, 
or by retaining their properties, but opening them up in a surprising new way to the use of the whole church. The Jerusalem Christians were showing care for each other and for the work of the gospel. And they were imitating their Lord Jesus, who gave everything he had for us, holding nothing back, and who shares with us everything that he is and has. They had all things in common. What does that mean for us? It doesn't mean that I can go over to your house and borrow your toothbrush without asking. It does mean, it does mean that whatever I own and whatever you own, we should both regard as given to us by God for the good of the fellowship. For the good of all believers here in our church and all the believers in God's one church across time and space, including those who don't know their believers yet. Using our wealth for the common good is not natural to us sinners, is it? Everything in us resists thinking about wealth in this way. We're like Gollum with the ring, right? It's our wealth. But just as the Jerusalem Christians were able to think and live in this way after they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, so we can learn to think and live this way by the help of the same Holy Spirit. And friends, already in the short time that I've been here at St. Aidan's, I've seen enough to know that many of you have glad and generous hearts when it comes to giving and sharing. And I praise God for that, because I know that this comes from Him. We want to be a church that shares together, where we each use our wealth for the common good, for the care of each other's needs, and for the support of gospel ministry. They spent time together, they were learning together, they were sharing together. And now we come to our fourth point, they bore fruit together. Let's return now to that last part of verse 47. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Notice how that phrase, day by day, gets repeated in verses 46 and 47. Let's listen to those verses together again. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The Jerusalem Christians had a day by day faithfulness. And day by day, the Lord was bringing about new conversions in their midst. Now, we need to be very careful here to say that this is not a formula or an exchange. It's not that if we all just put in X amount of hours per week, God will put out X amount of new church members. No, of course not. That's not how God ever works. That would be to totally miss the point of worship, which is something we do because we love God, not something we do to get something from him. And it would be to totally miss the point of evangelism, which we do out of love for our neighbors, wanting them to know the wonderful God that we have met in Jesus Christ, wanting them to receive his salvation. It's not something we do so that we can fill pews or balance our budget. The Jerusalem Christians were not focused on getting new members. They were focused on living a life of daily faithfulness to their Lord, together as a group, in private and in public. 
They were focused on learning more and more of what God was teaching them in the scriptures. They were focused on caring for each other with everything they had, using their spiritual gifts and their material wealth for the common good. And what verse 47 tells us is that God blesses that kind of church. God uses that kind of church for the growth of his kingdom. That's the kind of church we want to be. A church that spends time together, that learns together, that shares together, and that bears fruit together for the gospel. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will make us that kind of church as you alone can. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.